Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Hello and welcome to episode 141 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, welcome Justin Courtney Pierre. You may know from Fairwalk Continental, or the Rapture Twins, or probably Motion City Soundtrack. Justin has recently released his first solo album entitled In the Drink, that we discuss extensively in this episode, and what it took to make it happen. We also discuss his upbringing and friends and family to help him get into music, his years in speech therapy, and the label of pop, punk, and emo with his bands. Plus, we talk about his struggles with dependence on drugs and alcohol, and what he feels like looking back at those years. Finally, there is a cameo from his daughter that is absolutely hilarious that you do not want to miss. Once again, Justin's solo album is called In The Drink. It's out now on Epitaph Records. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters. If you want to support the podcast, hear more, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo to support. It means a lot. And for those that do, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is episode 141 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Justin Courtney Pierre. from like 1988 to 1996 uh very rarely venture outward but i i just i think that eric maline yes uh one i listened to that 
just because I know him. It was just so cool to hear him talk about himself and his stories. Um, but I'm just being my own manager and then tour manager and doing all this stuff. Like I've never, I'm not that guy and I don't have that brain and I'm just dropping, spinning plates or crashing to the ground. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm trying to keep it afloat. So I just don't have time to do anything. That's remotely fun. I don't have time to listen to podcasts either. So <laughs> yeah, I used to though. That was like all I did. Cause I got, I got burnt out on music, but now I'm, I'm doing these, mixed tapes for lack of a better word and that's all i'm i'm like i i started months ago and now i'm behind i still haven't started 1999 and i have to get through all of the records of 1999 then put it together within a week so whoops i would say in the since doing this the podcast since 2011 you've probably come up twice a year with someone just hitting me up randomly hey have you thought about hitting up justin um and so it's been, you know, again, there's, it's being that it's a part-time thing or something I do on the weekends or at, at night, you know, you, you have the list and you, you get through it. And it was funny when someone reached out after hearing Eric's and you seeing it. And so I was like, now I think the good time to, <laughs> to yeah, check yeah, in, <laughs> but it's been really fun having my heroes be able to help. And I think been able, I think I was definitely following your band during, you know, if it was definitely those early records, um, mm-hmm. Uh, just because you were touring with a lot of the bands that I was working with. So, um, yeah, yeah. So Minneapolis, that was where your start was correct. That was where you were born. Yeah. I grew up in the woods. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, since uh, 18, I think 18, I had a brief stint at Moorhead state university that lasted less than three months, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I gave up on the college, uh, experience and yeah, I moved to Minneapolis when I was eight. 18 yeah and then i've just basically moved around i think since 94 i've called minneapolis my home how did you start to get into music and start to explore uh you know if it was punk or metal or whatever it was nick nephew uh that's the name of the guy that guy i don't know if other people had that guy i grew up you know like i went in you know i was i was in high school from 90 to 94 and so, like back then, I mean, we had magazines at least, uh, but this guy just seemed to know everything before anybody else did. And I don't know how he knew that. And and the things that he was into, I was into. So he introduced me to Pixies, uh, Sonic Youth, Jesus and Mary Chain, Flaming Lips, Mercury Rev. Um, I'm trying to think. Anything that was like a little weird. Boo Radley's. Really? Uh, How did he find out about the Boo Radleys? I don't know, but he just (laughs) knew. Well, and I think the other thing is that I think he put this together and then I put it together, but we we had to read To Kill a Mockingbird. And so when he came across that name in one of his magazines, he's like, oh, I better check this band out. Um, Because they named him after, I don't know if everybody's familiar with the uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a great book and a great movie. Um, but one of the characters is his name is Boo Radley, and then they took that and called themselves the Boo Radleys, which I just thought was <laughs> so cool uh, when I was fifteen or whatever I was. Um, yeah, so that I think that was really it. And then also, uh, one hundred and twenty minutes on MTV that was the big thing for me back then uh, in terms of finding the music that I still listen to now. But it was weird because I think, I think back then, 
it it uh in the way ah, this might have even this might have been pre-nirvana but in the wake of nirvana exploding onto the scene anything that was weird or like indie or underground or not popular was dubbed alternative and so it was such a like in most genres things sound kind of similar but under the alternative blanket like it it wasn't the case and like the bands were vastly different from each other um but that that's sort of the i always say such a horrible name for a genre of music but that's that's the stuff that i listened to that's what kind of grabbed me i mean that show along with Headbangers Ball even had some deep cuts in there alongside the Pantera video every week. There was that there was that band or that visual that you saw. Um, and I think because there wasn't as much maybe coming at you, yeah, the zine was full of bands and ads and things, but it'll it's 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 almost like being on that show anointed those bands. Well, and you got to feel you got to see the personality of them, or at least what you thought that they were like through the music videos. And, and that's like, I remember it was a little later, but I remember seeing that's how I discovered Jawbox was the savory video on 120 minutes. And I don't know if you're familiar with that video, yeah. but this, it's just them playing at a kid's birthday party or something. And then like the kid gets like chainsaws and like taxidermy animals, like his gifts. It's just so like creepy and weird. I remember like watching it now it's, it's less like and, and knowing how videos are made and and all this stuff, like it's, it's it's different. But I remember seeing the back end, like this is so cool, this is so <laughs> badass. But it made me want to like listen to this band, and and that happened a lot. Um, God, this is kind of a weird story. It's not like awesome, but uh, the like my wife loves the Counting Crows, and so we went to see them because they played here in Minneapolis. And I'd never seen them, and I never really listened. I knew some songs and. I've heard them while she's, you know, playing them in the car. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. I never, I just never, like, nothing against them. I just never really checked them out. And they were playing with a band um, called Live that was opening. And I remember Live, like, this is one of, like, the, I don't know what this is telling, but I used to hang out with all of the, like, you know, long hairs, like the metal freaks <laughs> for a short period of time. It was weird because I went to Catholic grade school and then I went to public school and it was like a, it's like a whole other country. Um, and I just was kind of out of place for a couple of years until I found my people. But so at, at first I kind of was in the metalheads cause I, I played guitar and I liked Metallica and Megadeth and, and all that stuff. Um, and then I think it was uh, smashing pumpkins was introduced to, I was introduced to smashing pumpkins and I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. This is different. This isn't fully metal. It's like half metal. Uh, and, and then I remember I was over at somebody's house, I think we were like hanging out. I think everybody was probably smoking weed or doing something. I was like 14 or 15. I, I forget. And, uh, and so people started going to sleep and I was staying up watching headbangers ball. I, I can't remember. It was one way or the other, but I don't know if it came on headbangers ball or if it came on 120 minutes, but I remember seeing the video by live for pain lies by the riverside. Mm-hmm. And it's just these like shirtless men dancing and I remember, like, I was like, this is awesome. Like, I like this, but this isn't metal. And if anyone sees me watching this not metal thing in this house full of metal people, like, <laughs> I just felt, like, really nervous. It was, like, really weird. But 
I kind of, I think in that moment, like, I feel like it's so weird because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like a huge live fan, but I think like that, that was one of those moments where I was like, um, okay, I, I think I like this more than the stuff that I, I, I was listening to or, you know, it was like, I was hyping up the whole metal thing, but I was kind of more into this other weird arty stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, long story short, we got to see them open for County Crows and I'd never seen them before. And, um, yeah, it was weird. I mean, it's weird. I think flashing forward 20 some years and then seeing a band that you used to listen to kind of, and you know, so like I said, it's not a great story, but it just made me think of this moment. Plus back then too, I think there was a, like now we're all on Twitter and Instagram and you can see, you know, at least a version of ourselves that we want to put out to the world, which is still more than like, you had to find that one article of, the band where they have a few paragraphs and that's it. You're reading it. You don't get to like see video of, or it written by the person that's speaking. Um, it's just so much easier to connect to people now. So there's less mystery involved. Uh, and I think back then everyone just seemed way cooler than they probably were. Uh, for one, <laughs> if they're anything like me, because I'm the <laughs> least cool uh, person I know. And yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so do you think that do you, uh, this is this is brought up a bunch because of the time period of some of these bands and their age? Y- mm-hmm. You knew it before it. And now you have it. So I think you have this context of being able to know when you didn't have it and that feeling and someone today that's younger it doesn't they only they only have always had a phone or they've always had uh oh yeah 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 wikipedia and i think there was that again you talked about sort of that that feeling but it's also the that sense of discovery it felt like you were turning a page that you'd never of of a book that you'd never opened before and that feeling i try and replicate as much as i can today yeah, that's interesting. That's a that's a that just gave me an idea of trying something new, which is putting my phone down for a few hours here and there, or or just whatever that is. You have to create that for yourself if you actually want it, but you can't fully go there because you know that this other thing exists. You know, you can't fully divorce yourself from technology and from what's happening today, but you can try to pretend like it isn't happening uh in order to give your brain some you know old school feels yeah but i I wanted to say that was i going to say that there it seems like there was things felt now and here's where i would need to talk to a younger person to know what they actually feel like and what they think but i know that when i was in my you know high school years and I didn't have access to this stuff. Like when I found a band that nobody seemed to know, like they felt like they were my band, you know, it felt very much like this is, this is my thing. This is mine. Nobody knows what this is. But nowadays it's it's like every, everything is out there. Like you can, like anybody can find anything really, I think. Um, yes. And I wonder if that feeling is the same or if that's changed or if people don't think that way anymore. Uh, or if it's more, I think based on gaming, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think that maybe it's less about my thing and more about our thing, maybe for younger people. 
this shared experience, even though maybe they're not. I'm totally generalizing here. I think if, uh, if – no, I, I feel like if – I mean I actually love video games and I was jamming on a little Fortnite last night, getting my ass kicked. Um, yeah. There's that sense of you know you're doing it with someone. Other people are doing that same thing, but then also there's Twitch where they're watching people do it, and yeah, they're learning. Or there's other people in that chat that they're talking to about the same thing. It's it. I mean, we had message boards, but that was even later. Think if we we could have just yeah. popped up in in 1994 and found all our Nirvana fans and started talking to them. I would have probably, I would have done it in five seconds. Coming from yeah. a smaller town, that was even more. You had to get the go, go yeah, get the Yeah, you had weekly. to drive 45 minutes to get to anywhere that had anything cool that might tell you what something was possibly happening. And, and Were you going to <laughs> yeah, shows back like, then? Yeah. I mean, but we had flyers and radio. Yeah. I think that was basically it in terms of finding out when bands were playing. Um but yeah, I think in, and I don't know, how did I know about these shows? That's the, I think it was the record stores. That was to, it. Yeah. So it was, yeah, I was going to, I'm trying to think, because I think. What was the local one for you? What were the shows and what uh, were some of those? I, I, I feel really great because I can get to validate, no, validate. Um, what's the term for, <laughs> you get to, um, something you screwed up, you get to redo again. Um whatever that word is, that uh, is. <laughs> I did a podcast like a week ago and, and I couldn't or a week or two ago and I couldn't remember the name of the store but Northern Lights in Minneapolis it's um, it, it was on the same block as 7th Street Entry and 1st Avenue nice and I think it's I don't know what it is I think it's a restaurant now but but that was the place where uh, I feel like because we were going to see so many shows at the entry and at First Avenue, that was the store that we usually popped into, either Northern Lights or there's Let It Be Records, which is also in Minneapolis. And I don't know when, but I, I discovered the electric fetus a little later, but that was another one. And that's great because they have this big board behind, um, on the back wall behind the registers that just has every single show listed that's, you know, that they sell tickets for. Um, and I'm assuming that's how it was for Northern Lights and for let it be, but you could just go in and buy, you know, tickets to whatever show you wanted to go to, or even just go to seventh street and just see what was happening and then buy tickets directly from them. How far the drive was that for you from, from when I you can't were... remember? Cause I have a whole, I, I, I do the drive a lot because that's my parents still live in the same house. Uh, I, I want to say between 30 minutes and 45 minutes. So that wasn't too bad. Yeah. Not horrible. No. Because I think, too, you know, being able to have access like that and you're looking up at that big board and your mind's getting filled with all those shows and what's going on. Did you feel like there was a specific scene? Were you more going to punk shows, metal shows, or was it all over the place? I think it was all over the place, but it would have all fit into that alternative music label. Um, I I didn't like even the word scene. I never really understood that. I still don't think I understand it, but that wasn't my scene having a scene. <laughs> I was just kind of a lone wolf or I had my one to two friends that I would go see shows with. Um, or I would go by myself or I'd go with my dad. And then he, you know, for 21 on up shows, he would go with me, get in. If he liked the band, he'd stay. If he didn't, he'd leave. And then pick me up later. That rules uh, that he would do that for you. 
Yeah. And I remember we did that with, for sure. We did that with the Boo Radleys. That was one where like, I, I never got to see them and I was like, ah, I can't wait. So I saw them at first Avenue once and it must have been, was it as giant steps? Yeah. Oh wow. So it was giant steps. So I got into everything is all right. No, every, everything's was everything's all right forever. I think is the name of that album the first one that i heard and then giant steps was like holy shit so sometime around then i got to see them at first avenue and then in 94 two friends and i went on a road trip to atlanta georgia to Lollapalooza to see them solely to see them on the second stage wow for 30 minutes play for 30 minutes we drove (laughs) we did this road trip and uh yeah and that was great i think that was the same year i think the bc boys were i'm trying to remember who was on what stage but we we stayed on the we saw Stereo Lab and Boo Radleys, and there was one other band I can't remember. Did you take any offense if your dad left or stayed, or did you have any affirmation that if he stayed, you could have, you could still talk, you could talk to him about the Boo Radleys more? Well, he liked a lot of the music that I liked in high school once wow. I, he was introduced to it, but we never. It's hard for me to remember. My my brain isn't great. My brain is you know why we have to do these interviews quicker because everybody is you know the as the as the years go on they forget <laughs> yeah i mean i think i've always been this way but <laughs> i i feel like i think i was more concerned that like i was wasting his time if he left uh, i wasn't so concerned with that oh no he doesn't like this or whatever it was it was this weird self-made pressure of like oh shoot i've wasted his time uh uh, late, late, like lately now, because he got a record player again, and just uh, for the last ten years, I've just been buying him my favorite records of the year, and so he listens to those. So I think he's likes, like low, um, crap. What else? Uh, so you buy him your favorite records of 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 the year of the year? Yeah, just for like Christmas gifts. There's always the first crappy punk band. Were you in one of those at the time? Yeah, I was in four. Four or five, if you count Motion City soundtrack. Uh, the the first band was called What You Funna Do, I think. I think that was the name of the band. And it was we changed names every time we got a different bass player. So there was the singer who was basically like a shitty Anthony Kiedis, which is saying a lot. And and then the drummer. The drummer learned how to play on literally on pots and pans and just like buckets and stuff. And then eventually bought pieces of drums from different places and put together this drum set. But he taught himself and he was, he was actually really good. He got really good. He was really into all and descendants and a lot of other things too. But I think that was kind of his focus. And then mine was like Blue Radley, Smashing Pumpkins, Dinosaur Jr., like a lot of guitar bands. Um, and so we had that and then, and then we had like rotating bass members um so like each six months we'd find a new bass member so i think it was what you fun to do and then we became jughead and then we became earth because uh, that was it's like yeah Ugh. uh and then and then that singer went to uh the arts the arts high school in golden valley here in minnesota and so i i just took it upon myself i said okay fuck it i'm gonna sing and we're going to write all new songs. And the drummer was like, no, we can't get rid of Buff Love Juice or whatever the fucking shitty songs that we had. And so I, I was 
I was like, no, we got to do this. Trust me. And yeah. And then, and then, so we, we became basically like a shitty smashing pumpkins and that's also saying something. And we, yeah. And that band, you can actually find a record. I think somebody posted them online somewhere, but that band's called slide coaster. And the, the only, like, there's one thing that happened that was really cool. Cause one of my favorite bands from here is a band called Polera. And they, I think it was 94 or 95, somewhere in there, a bunch of bands were invited to play. Like you had to submit mm -hmm. and, and a bunch of bands were selected from different states to go and play at New York and NYU like music festival thing. And of the two bands that were selected from Minnesota, it was Polera and us. And I just felt super validated. Wow. They were, they were like my favorite band. And so I got to see them play. And I remember at the show. So you came to New York for that show? Yeah, we came to that New York. I think we were either in high school or just out of high school. Wow. But we drove to New York and played that show. And we played to like no one at our thing. But then we went to the Polera show and it was, I don't remember the club, but I feel like you went down some stairs. It was like really cool. And they just destroyed. It was just so good. And then I think it was, I can't remember. One of the guys in Polera remembers it differently, but I feel like it was our drummer gave him our tape and then he put it in his amp and just like literally a year ago or I, maybe it was a few years ago now, but uh, he found that tape and mentioned that to me because we've since become friends and that's Ed Ackerson, the singer, guitar player of Polera. He produced Motion City's record Go, a bunch of Motion City stuff, all the Farewell Continental stuff I've done. Oh, wow. All the, rapture twin stuff and like so i i actually was like super nervous to meet him because he was producing a record with gary loris from the jayhawks of a band called limbeck love limbeck so home yeah so he was producing that and limbeck's like oh you got to come down and sing and i'm like i'm kind of nervous i don't know so that was when i first got to meet him officially and then we slowly just kept in touch and then we started working on projects together and you know he would produce and engineer different things that i work on and so we become friends now which is really cool that like you you grow up listening to somebody on the radio and you're like holy shit now we're buddies and uh, from one tape yeah well i don't even know i think that that wasn't even it that was just a, a, a story he was like hey i was digging through some old gear and i found this tape that you gave me like but I just like a cool connection it. that it was at that yeah. you were so separate that it was like, check out my demo, you know, to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, that's, then, that's great. Do, yeah, you, yeah. do you remember the first time you sang? Uh, like in front of people? No, just yourself, realizing that, that you could or you wanted to or you felt something when you did it. I think technically the first thing I did was I rapped. And that was at the at, is it at the behest of, is that the right word? What am I looking for? Uh, I had a, 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 uh, a speech therapist cause I had a stutter when I was younger. I did I too. To nice. Yeah. Well, how old were you? When I had, I think I was in grades. No. What's the yeah, grade school. So before middle grade school, school. it was definitely okay. grade school. I don't know when it developed. My mother seems to think that I saw a movie where someone stuttered and then suddenly I stuttered, but I, I don't know. I, I do take on the, the personalities of things that I 
see and listen to and read, you know, but I don't know that that was the case, but I definitely had a stutter for a very long time. It was, I couldn't say consonant or no, sorry, vowel sounds like at, like A's, E's, I's, O's are used. I would just get tripped up and I would just get like stuck and I almost turned red trying to force it out and I couldn't do it. Um, and so somewhere in there, I feel like third grade, I went for like three or four years or second grade, second, third, fourth, fifth. Somewhere in there, I went to speech therapy and I went to a Catholic grade school. So I had to go across the street to the public school in order to do it. And I was like the oldest one there. Cause I think it was the, it was like the kids, the grade school, like the K through two or three yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I was like in fifth grade. So I was like way older than these assholes. And <laughs> I went to this, well, it's just funny. Cause I remember standing in line for the bus. I had to wait for my bus there. And I'm wearing my Catholic school uniform. And these kids would make fun of me and say that I'm so poor I couldn't afford their school. And I just thought, like, you are an idiot. Um, not that I'm like some elitist. Like, I wasn't paying for this, you know, school that I was going to. But just like, it, it, yeah, idiots. Uh, so, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, You're waiting uh, for the bus. Yeah, so, well, no, I, I went to the speech therapy <laughs> with uh, this therapist named Mrs. Lattimore. And we tried everything and I remember we would play games and we would do all these various things and then I would be rewarded with pretzels like these little tiny tiny little thin long pretzels right and then I would just keep them all until the end of the session and then I would eat them while I waited for the bus that was <laughs> I don't know if that's the weird thing to do for kids but that's what we did no you're saving them that's the smart uh, well just uh, giving them away to kids you know food, I don't know whatever but yeah so uh, yeah. So I think just out of frustration, she mentioned, and I always forget this guy's name, but that there was a country singer who had an incredible stutter, but every time he sang, he was perfect. But then when he started talking, he couldn't talk. So she suggested, and it's, this is like a famous guy. You can look him up. I just can't remember his name. And she suggested, she asked, Hey, do you like music? Yeah, I like music. Mel Tillis. And, yeah. And so she's like, well, why don't you try that? Go home and learn your favorite songs and come back and sing them for me. I was like, okay. And so at the time, my favorite band was the Beastie Boys. License to Ill had come out. I think it was 84. And so I, yeah, 84, 85. And so I, I went back and I like memorized, was it Paul Revere, whatever, the uh so here's a little story i got to tell about three bad brothers you know so well it started way back in history with that rock mca and me mikey uh you know so and i went through that whole thing and i didn't stutter once and i think that was the like i have the beastie boys to thank for that as fucked up as some of those songs are uh and from from that point sorry this is a very long-winded answer to your question but i'll get to it is that i learned how to sing by, by, you know, as a way to learn how to speak because I couldn't speak. So I sang and then I learned how to be someone else in order to, because I couldn't be me. And so in learning how to sing, I wouldn't necessarily just learn how to like the songs of the people. I would try to sound like the people. So I would do ad rocks voice. I do MCA's voice. I do Mike D's voice in the song. And then, you know, I, I went to other, other songs and other bands. And then I would learn like it's Bill, Billy Corgan's voice. I would try to imitate that. I try to imitate Spice's voice from the Bradley's or 
Max voice from Super Chunk, um, Jay Maskin's voice from Dinosaur Jr. So I would just try try to sing like them. And I think that's how I learned how to sing. And I think the, like somehow, I, even on records now and on MCS records, I kind of go to places like I know specifically, oh, I'm kind of doing this Kathleen Edwards thing here. Or I'm doing this Kim Deal thing here. Or like, oh, this is a total Jay Robbins moment or a Ben Folds moment. Um, but I still think, I think Mac from Superchunk is probably the voice that lent itself to me in terms of like, oh, I think I can do this. Not as much now because his voice is so fucking high. But <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, I can, I can sing like this guy. I could do this. And that's, that's the one that, which is really interesting because I would often get, like, I like the get up kits a lot too, but I know that uh, Matt, is a huge fan of Mac. And so oftentimes people would say we sound like the get up kids, but I think it's that we both are ripping Mac from super chunk, uh, a lot, <laughs> at least in the earlier years. But uh, to, to be fair, we did, we did, even though we're like, I think we're almost the same age. They might even be younger than us. Cause they were way better and got at it earlier than Josh and I. But, uh, sorry, I'm getting way derailed here. Why so do you apologize? Question, you do not I need to apologize. I love this. I am being quiet okay. and enjoying. <laughs> okay. I just I feel like sometimes when I don't know what to say, I just keep talking. And I love it. That words will come out that make sense. Uh, yeah. Justin, you're doing – I don't I even did, know if I answered your question. You did because what's interesting well, is as you're saying this, you you were doing this – and it was because you had to, you know, you were stressed, you know, I'm sure if like, God, I'm stuttering, like, oh, wow, this beastie voice thing, thing, like, oh, I want to, you know, you're being, you want to be somebody else, you're younger, trying to, trying to figure out where your voice is. And while learning other people's voices or emulating them, it, it turned into your voice and you're hearing yeah, those things come, which is great. It's such a weird thing though, to, in order to find myself, I had to be other people, but that's kind of what it is. And I guess that's kind of what anybody does. I think when you're younger is to put on these, um, these roles or these characters and see what fits and what doesn't. Especially you know? with singing, because that's the, that's so out there. You're not, you're not the bass player standing next to the drummer. You, you're out front. You're the people are listening and processing what you're saying, uh, and I think it's a that was a I think a really cool, I think a really beautiful way to handle that. And um, you know, most of the most of the answers for first saying is just started singing in my basement, you know, and that was it. But no, you had this sort of <laughs> piece of it that you had to because you were dealing with something that was stressful with stuttering, which, you know, I'm easier, you know, vowels are still hard for me. Sometimes I'll, the, I do a podcast on emo and sometimes I can't say emo. <laughs> emo, yeah. I don't, you know, it's a weird thing. It's like, I've got a three-year-old daughter and she's stuttering now. And I, I, I felt like I saw it coming. Really? And I mentioned it to my wife. Yeah. I just, I just had a gut feeling. And then my wife was like, no, I think, oh, okay. She was like, I'm going to do the research on this. And she's like, yeah, it's, it's normal for kids to stutter at this age from this time to this time when their brains are growing and they have all these thoughts and they can't get them out quick enough. And I'm like, but it's different. It just reminds me of something. <laughs> like, I just know, I just know. And so we had her tested and sure enough, she passed the 
I stutter like crazy test. And uh, so we've, we've got, luckily we got her into speech therapy at three, as opposed to like, you know, eight or whatever, when people make fun of you for stupid things. Yeah. Yeah. Like now it's just a bunch of kids that have no, idea. they're just having fun. They don't give a shit. And they're learning. Yeah. They're yeah. having fun and learning and the stuttering is slowly, you know, changing. So I, th- I, I think my parents for um, glasses, they saw me walking into walls a lot and oh, they yeah. were like, oh, he's either really dumb or uh, can't see <laughs> a little bit of both, but they, ha- I yeah. was, ha- I had glasses at three. So I was like, thank you. Wow. I didn't have to like, you know, deal with not being able to see something or getting punched in the face or I don't know. <laughs> yeah. To, so g- good on you to like see that and be like, I God. see me. <laughs> and the glasses are so cute on three-year-old kids. Like yes. I see them and yeah, they're just the cutest things I've ever seen. And I think the 80s ones were not as cool, but they were definitely. <laughs> oh, <bad>. yeah. <laughs> I think now they have these things. They're kind of like plastic, and they just kind of wrap around. Oh, I've I don't seen know. those. So it's almost like they, they yeah. can play a basketball game and be a kid. Yeah, or it's like almost like they're a superhero, yeah, it's, which is, it's... I think, more fun. <laughs> and it's true, because they can see. So <laughs> Supervision. Supervision. Uh, so you, you – was. <laughs> So you were talking sort of about the you know those early bands leading into uh, Motion City, um, making that decision to do something like that full time. You had been in a bunch of bands. Did you know at that point that this one was going to be a little bit different? No, I knew that. I think around the, just after between even if it kills me and my dinosaur life was when I decided that. I was actually a musician and I could call myself a musician. Why? And that's only because I, 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 I thought of myself as a failed filmmaker up until that point. I still held out hope that like I would make feature films, but it's a lot, it's a lot easier. Well, I don't know if it's easier, but it, it, yeah, I'm just really slow at realizing what's right in front of me. And so as far as MCS goes, um, like I know, you know, I don't want to totally repeat myself because there's a lot of this information you can find out there. But Josh sought me out because his band um, called Saddest Girl Story had um, they lost two of their members. One was a singer, one was a guitar player, and so he wanted me to fill in for both roles. And so, like our high school bands used to play with each other, so we kind of knew each other not very well, but. He sought me out, and I, I joined up with that. It didn't really work out. It didn't make sense for what they were doing. And then half of that band turned into another band. And then we, Josh and I, decided we were going to keep going and try to do something cool. And at first, we were writing like seven-minute-long songs. You can kind of... the first I think one of the first things that we did that is out there somewhere, there's a Promenade slash Carolina 7-inch that you can find. And I think that, I think... I think it was like six minutes long. It barely fit on on that on the seven inch. Of course you did. But but we were writing these songs. Like I think we were really into like Sunny Day Real Estate and Jawbox and um we were just like long songs that were more angular and like guitar cool guitar stuff, but and both of us were singing and neither of us could really sing. I mean I could I could say like I think I was a better singer than Josh, but we were, we were doing that like because we love Jawbox so much. So we had both of us were kind of singing and singing different words and different melodies over each other, like that whole thing, which is really fun and everyone loves it. Uh, and because you can totally understand what we're saying. And and then at some point, I think 
I think he, he just like sat me down and said, okay, you got to listen to these bands. And that's when he showed me the get up kids, promise ring, Jimmy eat world mineral. Um, and I'm sure I'm leaving a bunch out, but those are like, I think the main one. Why did he feel that he needed to tell you those? Was it because he was into them? Yeah. And I think he'd had some success. Like I kind of just wanted to jam. Like I I just wanted to have cool guitar parts and do like solos and shit. And and so I think he, he, he had this, I, I get so confused because if you asked him, you'd probably get a better, more accurate answer but with me you're gonna get something i'm I'm making up on the spot that i think sounds like it might have happened because i just don't remember but it was a combination of that and i think hold on hold on hold on maybe it wasn't the mineral i think the mineral might have been before that because the mineral and sunny day real estate made sense but then he sort of decided no we need to get things a little more popular well that's what i was about to say with the two other bands referenced those they were popular promise ring and and Jimmy Eatwold were like, okay, we got to make these a little more catchier and a little shorter. Although Jimmy Eatwold had, I think Clarity was the, I don't know, is that 99 or is that 2000? That was, Somewhere in there. That was 99. Okay. So, but yeah, there was that. And then the other thing, which ties back to the Eric Moline uh, podcast, was that, uh, and I've said this before, and I, I apologize for it, because I think he even mentioned it on there, but this was between the Weezer Pinkerton and Weezer Green album. Uh, the, the Ultimate Fake Book popped up. Uh, I think they'd opened for At the Drive-In or Get Up Kids. And mm-hmm. somebody from our friend circle saw them and was like, holy shit, you got to listen to this band. They do Weezer better than Weezer. <laughs> and, you know, and so, and then we listened to the album like, you're fucking right. It's genius. It's, shit, it's genius. Uh, it's like, because it was hilarious, but it was also super like, poignant and like sensitive and like it was beautiful it was just this weird thing where they they seemed like they were being silly but they were also being sincere they were in on the joke but they were the joke they, they i didn't understand like I, I just fucking i fell in love with it that's yeah the laughing week that's the record i'm talking about and so that record had a huge like and then eventually that band had a huge effect on motion city and myself and I, they're the reason why i started doing this whole like falsetto singing thing where I kind of flip up in the head voice and then back down, I would kind of flip all around. Um, really? So yeah, that, yeah, that was where I'm pretty sure that was. That's yeah, amazing. Think, yeah. So the combination of like get up kids, Jimmy world, uh, and promise rain, the whole emo thing mixed with ultimate fake book, plus all of the like Jawbox and Fugazi shit that we were doing prior to that we just sort of messed it all together and then the other big thing was the renter the rentals the oh hell yeah album came that, out. that record and that so good yeah well and then i think it was was the new one was 97 right yes um that or the second new one new one i said new one in 97 um but the i'm just trying to think of that time period josh had played the rentals for me and then when that then the uh seven more minutes came out we're like, oh fuck! We got to get that mode. We're gonna find that and we're gonna use that. And so, like, uh, somehow, if you mixed all of those bands together, ninety nine for seven more minutes. Ninety nine? Oh shoot! I thought it was ninety seven. Ninety five okay. was Return of the Rentals, and then seven more minutes was ninety nine. Took four years. Damn. Right. I okay. I thought it. I when you said it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense because 
I was in college and that totally, the, mm-hmm. but then it was actually two years after that. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess it took a bajillion years to do record number three, which I guess I had a small conversation with Matt Sharp on Twitter. Uh, I say conversation, but I think it was just <laughs> one or two back and forth. Uh, but what did you say? I, he, well, it was when the, uh, the last album came out, he was like, the third rentals album is coming out. And then I wrote back, what was, uh, what well then what was that crazy box set that I bought like a few years ago? And he's like, I have no idea what that was. Oh, the so, songs about I, time thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, what, what songs about time. Then he's like, I have no idea. Uh, but, but it's interesting. Cause then they revamped a couple of those songs for that, for that last rentals album. But holy shit. Have you been following him on Instagram or anywhere? Because no, they're mixing, they're mixing the next record. They did it, and, in, and it's being mixed by Dave Fridman. Holy shit. I know. It's going to be fucking bonkers. So I you think wait. 2019? I yeah. I think 2019 is going to be another Rentals album. Wow. Um, and Dave Fridman, and which is so crazy because I just heard that uh, everyone is always trying to replicate that Pinkerton sound. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, this is another thing where I feel validated, but... <laughs> Um, Fridman worked on that in some capacity. Now here's, here's a little, like, I, I don't have any sort of like factual stuff to back this up, but rumor has it that Fridman owns some kind of equipment, some piece of something that he's like the only person that has this thing or one of two or three people in the world. (laughs) And that's why his shit sounds so good. And if you listen to, what is it? Now, uh, the third song, the third song on Pinkerton, the guitar part is basic. Like, imagine it's a Flaming Lips song Mm -hmm. and listen to that record and you'll be like, holy shit, that's the thing. So whatever that is, like, that down, he's got it. Yeah, that's the, so anyway, so it's really cool that, I'm sorry, I just sang guitar part, I can't remember the name of the song. (laughs) Anyway. I'm just a mess right now. I'm like pacing. I'm getting so excited. When I talk about Fridman, my heart rate just goes up. Uh, Fridman mixed with uh, the rentals and Matt Sharp and just like losing my mind. So okay. the so that so, track was, let's see here, uh, the third no, track. There's no other one. Yeah. No, there is. Whatever that, yeah. So that guitar part, you're saying Dave's got the magic. Part. Well, it just doesn't it sound like a flaming lift, but yes. you listen to it. I don't know if you can do this, but you should stop this interview. I will. Put that on and like listen to that. And then. I don't know anything from the playing lips, and it just sounds like that. So, what's cool though is that he's obviously worked with him before, and then they're, I don't know, I just get into all that shit. You know, and getting back together with this guy after like twenty some years, it makes you feel I don't good. Know, it's kind of cool. Now the yeah. other the other funny thing about this is, uh, for years people, I guess they still do, they had called Pinkerton an emo record, and I had I had mm-hmm. never thought it was. I was like, that's an alternative mm-hmm. band. They're on MTV. Mm-hmm. They're huge. That record was like mass marketed in every fucking record store in, in the world. Yes, it wasn't, you know, it was revered after and sort of, but I, it, what is your, what is your take on, yes, it has connections, but I never thought it was one. I, I still don't understand what emo means, but I, I finally 
uh, I, the first time I'd heard the, heard the phrase, I was at a party in the late nineties and somebody asked me what music I liked. And I was like, Oh yeah, I think that sunny day real estate. It's a pretty good band. And then it just stopped me. And they're like, Oh, so you like emo. Like, what does that mean? Emo? Like, but do you see stuff? how it was, see how it was shit talked then? <laughs> yeah. Like I don't, I didn't understand what that meant. And then, and then it was like, Oh no, it's emotional music. And I was like, what does that mean? That means nothing that like I don't get it. Like, Anyway, so yeah, I never understood that. And I like the other thing was the whole pop punk. Like, I think I get it, but I don't understand it. And then just the fact that our band, like Motion City, was labeled many things that I didn't necessarily agree with or understand. But I think it's because of the company we associated ourselves with. I think being on Epitaph, we were deemed a punk band. But none of the punk bands on Epitaph thought we were very punk at all and, because we weren't. And, you know, so, and then, and then, and, you know, and then like pop punk, I think we sort of drifted into that. If you look at like our early stuff and like what happened, I mean, I think, I think we went straight past pop punk into more just straight up pop, but it, it, it was just a weird, like those two terms, emo and pop punk, I don't really understand, but I know that they must be a thing. I just, I've never been like much of a label guy. So well, it's what's interesting to... is you being in that situation where you're just listing off bands and a guy yeah. says it's that and it's then he's sort of downplaying it. It's not Dismiss- as respected. Yeah. yeah, dismissive. And then your your motion city – and if, I really want to get into this because I've talked about this with a few other people from this era and it's really interesting. And especially with your indie rock background and sort of this – You've got all these sort of things. It wasn't just, uh, you know, you got into it and then those were the bands. You have this other piece to it, like the Jawbox or like uh, Super Chunk. Having having pop punk be labeled for your band during an era when Alternative was on the radio and bands were getting signed. I mean, it was a crazy time in that sort of mid-2000s. How did it feel? How did it feel that you had thought, I'm making this, like we just talked about it, from the rentals to Ultimate Fake Book to a little bit of Sunny Day in Promisering, but then you love Jawbrox and Angular, and now I'm going to do this falsetto thing. And not forget Tom Waits and Karen Carpenter. I mean, the Tom Waits doesn't translate so much, but <laughs> I think the this, this storytelling aspect, I feel like there is no greater master. Uh, but, and then like, uh, Karen Carpenter, like huge effect on me, this idea of like these incredibly beautiful, I mean, some people think it's like elevator music, but it's like so beautiful and so like poppy and so catchy. But if you listen to the lyrics, they're fucking dark as shit. I mean, she, you know, and just her whole story, like how everything panned out, but like, there is like serious darkness in her. And the songs are just so uplifting. Like I loved that juxtaposition and, you know, we tried that. I think we did. I think we did that well. Um, but that was another big, I guess, weird influence. I don't know that you yeah. really draw that connection. But do you feel that that was something when you guys were hitting those moments? And if it was post two thousand one and uh, and the early two thousand, were you feeling that? Were were the booking agents trying to put you on tours you didn't think made sense? Or were you just like, we're all just trying to figure this out? How were you feeling as a label was being put on the band and you guys had thought, 
I think to be perfectly clear, I, I was not very involved in anything outside of writing and recording and performing. So I, I didn't really pay attention to like, who was who, like, oh, this is who we're doing a tour with. OK, cool. I, I don't know. I didn't know I could say no or like ask questions. I just like I said, it was like I was about four records in before I like decided, I, OK, I'll focus on this now. Um, because during that time you wanted you were doing the either the you were trying to do the film stuff to, or you're trying yeah, to I do more to college. I tried to go back to film school to finish it up because I thought, oh, I've got like six months here. Let me see if I can just finish up this college thing real quick. And that didn't work. Uh, and I made, you know, I made a bunch of films, a bunch of short films and directors and music videos and did all this stuff, but I could just never get anything off the ground in terms of like a, a larger project. And eventually, you know, I just ran out of money. So I thought, well, instead of spending my own money, maybe I'll just use other people's money, but then nobody wanted to give me money to do anything. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, that's how that works. Okay. You have to be like really talented in order to convince people to give you money. And so yeah, in terms of like the label and stuff, I think when I was younger, uh, the labeling, I was like, oh, okay, sure. And like part of it was like, oh, we're having fun with our friends. Yeah, we, we play with the All-American Rejects or Fall Out Boy or Starting Line or and then it's like, oh, okay, pop punk. Great, fine, sure, whatever. I don't care. We're just having fun. Yeah. And then it was like, you're just this thing. And we're like, oh, but we're also other things, I think, aren't we? Wait, what? And then... And then, it, and then it just got to a point where like, oh, none of it actually matters. Who cares? We're able to play music and have fun. So kind of, kind of went in a circle. And so I guess I'm just telling you, like, I don't necessarily understand it, but I also don't care. I mean, fuck, you could call me like alternative fusion country, you know, if that makes sense to you and I'd be cool with it. I love that. That's what I was kind of getting because if it, there was some people that were dismissive and tried to downplay it for their whole career. And then now they're okay with it or they're ones that were okay with it from the beginning and then hate it. it, it it's, it's, there, there is no right answer. It's just an interesting when something gets really popular and you're sort of in the moment, uh, there's different feelings and it's, uh, there's different ways that people take it. Um, and I think the, there was so many great things that came out of that and amazing bands um, and amazing moments. I mean, think to so many uh, bands that are now that they, they have a career and they can be their band forever. Um, and that was from those moments. That's what's amazing about it, too. But to sum this up, in summation, I think my reaction to the labels would probably go something like this. If somebody said, oh, you're that, I would go, huh, okay. Sure. Like that, that's basically like, I don't care. Like, I don't agree. I don't see it, but sure. Whatever. And so I don't, I don't know. And maybe this is like a, again, that's probably a passive aggressive kind of way of being, but, uh, that's, I'm going to end on that note. Were there any things that you were feeling in the moment of, Oh my God, that was kind of crazy. What's happening. Or did you feel it in other ways? I spent a good deal of my life not being, uh, not being, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, there? Like when I'm here, yeah, like when I'm there or when I'm here, I'm not here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's tough. And like a lot of it too, for me, uh, performance-wise, it's so anxiety-ridden because I just want to do a good job. And I, at the end of the day, I feel like I usually pulled it off, but I was always worried 
and uh, I just, you know, like inside my mind at a show is like, oh shit, I, I don't think I can hit that. Wait, I'm, I, I'm going to try this instead. Maybe I'll do this one on this time. Shit, didn't do that. Fuck, I fucked up that guitar part. Wait, oh, hold on. What's this? Uh, I tried this way. Okay, that works. Okay, I'm going to do that from now on. Maybe I'll do this. So like in my head, that's what's happening when I'm playing. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily enjoyable. I mean, it's enjoyable on one level, but then on another, it's just, I'm so like, I just want to do a good job. I want to, I want people to leave here thinking that was great. So I, I, it's, you know, and I think it was Kim Gordon's book where she talks about like the energy between the the fans and the band and like feeding off that and all that. And I thought, Oh, that's an interesting idea. I never thought about that. Wow. And I'm just like, Oh God, I'm a horrible person. Like I'm just so in my head, like wanting to perform for them that I don't, I can't, I can't be anywhere else, you know? And you realize that after. Yeah. And so then I started, I try, like, I think in the last couple motion city tours, I tried and I think I got closer to just like letting go and and being okay with forgetting words or missing notes or not playing well. And, And I sort of, I think I can't seem to do both. So if I want to have the, you know, like a more, fun adventure style it's going to be a little sloppier but if i want it to be as good as i did hope it can be i have to focus a little more um sorry like as i say this shit out loud it sounds kind of horrible but it's it's more like you were trying to you were you were trying to do as best as you can and and be that person and like you said every other time you're like i wasn't paying attention to that i wasn't paying attention to who was on tour with us you were just so into the music at that point and trying to do well, it right it, it not not even into the music is just doing a job well really and i don't know where that comes from you, you know don't... well not that i'm not into the music sorry i miss I, I know but, what you mean you know that like it's it's more about like okay x amount of people paid a lot of money to have an experience and i don't want to be the person that fucks that experience up they had to like like maybe this is the only show they get to go to. Maybe they had to borrow a car. Maybe they had to do this. Maybe they had to do that. Maybe they got a babysitter. Maybe like this has to be good. And so when it's not good, it's my fault. And I just don't want to be the reason why somebody goes like, Oh, I just spent 60 bucks and that sucked. Yeah. You know? So, uh, I guess that's kind of where it comes from. Were were you having trouble dealing with that on a on a like was it just like you said you hadn't felt like you were a band until the certain record you didn't think about it later during it what what ways were you dealing with that? Oh, I should also mention that I was doing massive amounts of drugs and drinking a lot for many years and so that that also is a reason why I can't remember shit. Yeah. Um so which kind of goes in direct opposition to what I just said, like the super caring human being that just wants to do well for other people was also probably drunk or fucked up for many of these shows and put on a terrible show. Um, back in the day, there were only a handful of shows where I was actually drunk or messed up. Most of the, that stuff happened when I wasn't on tour mm-hmm. and then I would get on tour and then I, you know, sober up pretty quickly. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'd just be sober for a tour, and then I'd get off tour, and then I'll kind of all start again. But I just got to pause this for a second, because my daughter just woke up from a nap. Oh, no way. And she And so I am just, sorry, I'm kind of listening, but I'm also... Don't worry about it. You have a very important human. Yeah. <laughs> just, just wanted you to know that my daughter says that Caroline can sing hot cross buns. 
Really? Yep, Caroline can do it. She's going to go to a birthday party today in a little bit. That sounds fantastic. Um, I hope it's yeah. I, I hope it's documented. Hey, is it okay if I do this interview for a little more, and then I'll come see you in a little bit? Okay, do you want to go upstairs with Mom? Okay, I'll see you in a little bit, okay? Uh, yeah, per- perfect timing. I think, uh, I think, yeah, a combination of being an addict and having issues, um, undiagnosed things of varying degrees. Mm -hmm. I think that was probably why. So it's probably self-medicating in order to keep things at bay. But then I also enjoyed being not myself and I felt a little more freeing to be able to communicate with people. I mean, it was sort of like you singing like the other people, the other musicians when you were learning. Yeah, I guess when I wasn't myself, I felt better. (laughs) Do you feel differently Uh, today? Yeah, I feel more myself. This is funny. I was just talking to my wife about this because a bunch of people in our families or just outside of our families have all like either gotten sober or taken steps to get sober. And it's just so interesting how things seem impossible when you're in it. And it's not until you can get out of it that you can see how it's possible to get out of it. So it's like this weird conundrum that's, it's hard to explain, but nowadays I don't know. It's weird. Like I have liquor in my cabinet that hasn't been touched in years because my wife drinks like a normal person. I don't understand it. It's like, <laughs> oh, how does this still here? Like, that's so weird. I'm like, I went from being a guy that like, I can't have it near me because I will drink it to like, oh, now it's just here and I just have no interest in it. And I don't know what changed, but something did. And now I'm, now I'm this guy now. I wanted to talk about the new, the solo record in the drink. It was just funny looking back and going through all the records, discographies and all the music and, you know, stuff you were doing, if it was, um, you know, side projects and it's just, there's this drive. There's something inside of you that has to keep doing this. And um, I'm really happy that you put out this record. And the other thing I thought about when I was listening to it is I could hear it at an arena. Does that make sense? Like it feels big. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, I'll take that. I mean, I with this thing especially, I was trying to emulate a lot of those nineties bands that I listened to, you know, growing up. And even just in writing this record and wanting it to sound a certain way, I had specific records in mind. Which that ones? I, I referenced. Uh well, I don't know that you hear them in what I did, but I really liked I think I kind of picked uh, I had Frank Black, Teenager of the Year. Uh, I had Sugar, Copper Blue. Um, that first Stephen Malkmus solo record. Mm-hmm. And uh, Guided by Voices. Um, 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 Alien Lanes. Hell yeah. And, and I think it was Super Chunks. Here's where the strings come in. I think those were the five. And I kind of just bounced around in that area for various reasons and um but then other things you know like i listen to a song and i'll sorry i have a kid that's dragging onto one of my legs i'm pulling her across the floor right now <laughs> uh the uh i don't know if she's gonna make it onto the i will oh definitely will yeah. we're not editing this um <laughs> uh, sh- uh like tour of driver showed up in one song or like, oh this is that this is that part of that song or oh this is that super chunk part or 
I remember telling um, Dave Jarnstrom, who played drums, which is really great because I wrote all these songs on a computer because I don't know how to play drums. And then I would just have him sort of interpret them, either play them verbatim or interpret them as needed. And so I would say like, oh, when you play this part, you know, do this like, do this like Todd Trainer, like like shellac, shellac it up. Or like, oh, do this like this guy. Or here, here's what I'm thinking. This band, this is a total swerve driver thing, and this is a, you know. So so that's, I don't know. It was just very much so like that early, well, it's like mid to late '90s stuff that I was listening to kind of found its way onto this onto this record. But yeah, I think you're right in terms of just, I just sort of, I sort of said like, I, I just make stuff. I'm just the guy that makes things. I'm an idea guy. Uh, so with, whether it's Farewell Continental or the Rapture Twins or whatever, um, God, I'm winded. Uh, <laughs> From dragging your kid across the yeah. floor. <laughs> here, can we switch legs? Let me do the right leg now, okay? I need some, here, <laughs> grab onto this leg. Grab onto this leg. This leg needs some Honey, help. we need to work out both legs. Yeah, work them out. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know, but I I'm super happy with how it sounded, and and I do have like you know so many people worked on this thing to make it sound good, and Josh Kane is one hell of a producer. It was a lot of fun to work with him in a way where I got to call the shops. Um, you know, was that was that to, different? Yeah, I mean, we in the best way possible. I'm trying to find a way to rephrase this because I keep telling everybody we fight all the time, but it's not true. It's just that he thinks his ideas are great. And I think my ideas are great. And we just had to battle it out until somebody wins um, with, with in, in conjunction with motion city. But with this, he would throw ideas at me and almost all of them were great. And oftentimes he would push me further toward what he knew I wanted, even if I didn't know I wanted it. But at the end of the day, I got to say like, nah, or yeah. So that's what was super fun about it. But yeah, he did a, great job and um mark mccluskey mixed the shit out of it so i don't know it's all good stuff i'm real happy with how it turned out i've also had a point now where i don't analyze as much i just sort of just go maybe this is therapy but yeah i for an entire lifetime i've been it's gonna sound really weird to anybody who doesn't understand this (sighs) but for an entire lifetime i've had ideas come to me I don't know what they are but I'll get a feeling about something like knowing something without knowing it and it just felt wrong because I couldn't analyze it in my brain and make sense of it like where did this idea come from where did this thought come from but it wasn't until I started going to therapy that that it was pointed out to me that that's your like instinct Tell it like you're like a different part of your, that's like your body telling you something that your brain doesn't know. And, you know, some people think of that as like God or spiritual stuff. Other people think of it as like gut instinct and other people call it other things. Like who knows what it is, but just in the last few years, I've started uh, listening to that and acting upon that. Hey, and, uh, and that, and yeah, and I, I don't know. It's like, I don't necessarily need to know if I have a feeling, I just sort of act on it. And if it's, you know, and, and it's really hard to articulate because it's not a thing you can talk about in words so much. You're making sense. It, it, it you're, you're, there isn't a filter um, and you're able to express it. And however it comes out, 
it doesn't matter. Yeah, and so a lot of these songs, like, they're kind of all over the place, but they all make sense to me. And then in, in, the, in terms of the lyrics, I tried, I've always tried to do this, but to write them from a point of view that I could see this being a story thread for somebody, or I could see this other thing being a story thread for somebody else. And then I can see this being, you know, if I'm lucky, I get, like, two is great, three is really good. And if I'm really lucky, I can get four different interpretations in my own head about what this thing could mean. But I write, you know, I write them for me. And, and so I, at least I, I know what they all mean for me and that's all I need to know. Uh, that's so like, I think this is maybe why people don't like to talk about stuff. Sometimes <laughs> it's just like, it doesn't <laughs> like it's, it's hard. Like I both know and don't know what the songs mean for me. And I'm okay with that. And that's kind of how it's been for the last. So it's slowly increasing. I think it started with farewell continental before I knew what I was doing before I knew I was doing this. It was all instinctual. It was about the words sounding right with each other, not necessarily the meanings meaning anything. Mm-hmm. But I found I, I would I would derive meaning from them afterward, not necessarily in the moment. In the moment, I go, "Ooh, that sounds good. Write down, write down. Ooh, that sounds good. Write down." Okay, now what does this mean? Oh, this can mean this. Cool, got it. Done. Okay, what's this? And it it wrote really fast. And so once I discovered that, I definitely used that way of writing on the my dinosaur life record. In particular, I would say the songs disappear, Pulp Fiction, and the weekends, those three, there might be more, but I think it's those three songs, very farewell continental in terms of the sounds of the words being as important or more important than the words themselves. Mm-hmm. So if you were to listen to those songs, you'd kind of get what I mean. And then it slowly changed over time where it's not necessarily about that, which I think is almost like a lifter puller or Craig Finn kind of thing. It's like really mm-hmm. about the sounds of the words. Then it kind of branched out into now it's just a phrase will come to me and I'll go, Oh, that fits, but I won't know how it fits or why it fits. I'll just know that it fits and then I'll keep it in there and then I'll continue writing this with, you know, writing the, the words. And so I love like that. This, yeah. It's like this weird, <laughs> this weird psychic puzzle that sort of presents itself to me. I mean, I'd say, 85% of the work is me still doing work, but then just words just pop up and they're like, boom, here we are. And yeah. And so that's, at least that's where I'm at right now. I like it. Is there other sort of that pie in the sky moment working out both legs? I know at the moment is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, luckily she went upstairs, so <laughs> we're good. I think she got bored. <laughs> bored of dad. Um, I, I, yeah, I have a 10 year plan. Um, I, I kidding, but I'm not kidding. Uh, I have a bunch of songs, songlets, ideas written. I've sort of mapped out 10 possible records, uh, in terms of what I want to do. And they're all very different in style from each other. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I kind (laughs) of just, that's just sort of waiting in the wings. And, and I think, you know, cause I'm just trying to see how this is going so far. So good. I just want to see if this is a thing that I can do that will sort of, you know, there's like a three tiers to this, this idea. This is something I can do for a living that I can make enough money to pay the rent and feed the kid. 
and everybody's happy. Uh, or tier two is um, like this. This kind of this music kind of feeds upon itself, so it just it's self-sustaining. I can get a job, you know, to make the money, and then I can do this on the side, or vice versa. However, that works. And then the third option is I make a record every ten years once I scrounge up enough change, and so be it. I just dad it up. Um, and I think all three of those things are, I'm fine with, I'm just, while I'm here and still got it, if I do in fact have it, uh, I'm going to go for the gold and see if it, see, see, see if it'll work out for me. And, and if people dig what I'm doing and they want to support that and they want more of it, then I'll, I've got it ready to, ready to go. Uh, and I will say that for the first time I've got, this I, I sort of it's weird it's like it's nobody's fault but I with Motion City I kind of just wrote that's that was my job was to write and perform I would have ideas but with five people a lot of times you just don't agree on anything so it's hard to ever get things done because you're kind of basically you're like you know you like Congress or the Senate and you're just fighting each other for your ideas and nobody's really backing down. And then at the end of the day, time runs out and something happens and nobody's happy. Um, that's a horrible, <laughs> that's not always, but that's, that's what it feels like from an artistic standpoint. It's like, fuck, we could have done something cool, but yes, dude, we don't have $500,000. I'm like, I know, but it would have been so cool. Uh, that's usually why all my ideas got shot down. Uh, but then for, for this stuff, everything that I'm doing, it's just so great that I have, I have these ideas. I don't have a big budget, but I'm able, we're able to pull off these ridiculous music videos or, you know, the artwork and all the stuff that we're doing visually. Um, and, and, and there are things that are happening in the future too, uh, that I I'm not ready to talk about, but uh, there's just so much art. And I think that was another word, a dirty word for so long. I never wanted to use that, but I'm trying to maximize the amount of art that I'm making and putting out into the world. And I just, I want it all to be very specific. And I guess I'm learning that I'm not, I'm not as bad at doing this non-music stuff related to the music stuff as I thought mm -hmm. I would. So that's, that's, that's a good thing. That is good. Yeah, like even on the record, it said art designed by me. And I was like, I did not design this. But then apparently if I give all of the, if I dictate everything that I want, I guess that's what an art designer <laughs> does. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's great. Um, but I can't do any of this stuff. Like I need a team of people. And like Jason at Epitaph is fucking brilliant because every idea I throw at him, he throws it back at me and it's perfect. It's exactly what I had in my head. And I don't know, like it's very rare that you find people that can do that. And I've got that with, you know, whether it's Jason at Epitaph or uh, Dan Monick, who took the photos, speaking of Lifter Puller, mm -hmm. uh, or um, uh, Shane Nelson, who's directing all these music videos, these fucking crazy music videos that we're trying to pull off. Uh, all, 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 all these people know exactly what I have in my head. And it's great. Like once you, I think the key is just surrounding yourself with those people so that you don't, so that you're, you just basically say a few words and then they can pull it off. You know, I, I like know. that. No, that is not an I don't know that you do know. 
I do know. I just not <laughs> used to knowing. So it seems foreign. It's a like, new feeling. Yeah. That was perfect. Oh, it's feeling is strange and foreign. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this, Justin. Yeah, thanks for having me. I Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo. And Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com